My name is Anaru Rao. My name is Jana Pach, and this is the Wavemakers Podcast. Wavemaker is of Samoan descent from the villages of Faleula, Faleatiu and Safotu. She's a specialist tax lawyer having worked across the public and private sector in insurance and tax law. She moved her family from Auckland to Wellington in 2009 to work at Inland Revenue. She was then seconded to work for Minister of Revenue Michael Woodhouse and then Judith Collins. Her current role is an advisor in Stuart Nash's office. Her and her husband Chris live in Titahi Bay with their eight children with a heavily involved in the community. She's now the Labour Party candidate for the Mana electorate after Chris Whatfoy opted to be a list-only candidate. Welcome, my Lord for Mawa, to the Wave Makers podcast, Barbara Edmonds. Oh, Tala for lover, warm Pacific greetings to you all. Thank you for listening in today. Thanks for coming along. Another busy weekend of campaigning. Yeah, since my selection in late May, it's been um, a pretty massive undertaking. You know, most political campaigns can take around eight months to draw out, but we had just over 100 days. So lots to do, but um, been really energetic campaign. Great support on the ground for Labour, great support for the um, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. So I think I'm in a really good place to be able to work hard and keep on those gains. Nice one. We just want to um, begin uh, by paying tribute to your late mother, uh, Palepapoi, who passed away when you were four years old. Um, so that must have been pretty tough on you and, and your ainga. Um, do you have any many memories of her and, and how did your sort of family band together following her, her passing? Yeah, so mum uh, passed away when I was four. Uh, we buried her on my fifth birthday. So as you could imagine, she was 35 when she passed away. Um, I'm 39 now and sometimes I reflect on that you know, when you've had children and you're 35 and you're on your deathbed, there's a lot of things that would probably concern you at that time. Mm. But um, both my father, who was 40 at the time, and my mum, I just, I recall as a child having a house full of people. You know, a lot of um, my grandparents from Samoa came over. I remember my aunties and uncles, very much like marae styles, where our house was the marae and everybody was sleeping in, mm. in different corners. There were mattresses everywhere. And, you know, during the day the family would go to work or would prepare food and, you know, the, um, the nuns would come in, they'd do communion in the morning. And then, um, yeah, it was kind of, um, I remember it as a warm time. I don't really remember, I remember um, when she did pass away. But um, I think as a mother now of eight, you kind of look back and you think, what would that be like, you know, on your deathbed? And I do recall um, one of my aunties said to me that, you know, your mum, even though as sick as she was, on her deathbed, all she cared about was a cake for your fifth birthday. Mm. So I thought, ah, she's a pretty awesome woman, you know. Yeah. yeah, warmth and love, that's all I remember. Mm. Yeah. Um, how many siblings do you have? So I'm the baby of four. Yeah. <laughs> I will always be the baby, apparently. Yeah, yeah. 
So I've got two older sisters and one brother who is three years older than me. Um, my two older sisters came with my parents from Samoa in 1978 mm. and then um, they, like most of the Pacific Tide, settled from Ponsonby, moved to South Auckland and then my father and mother um, capitalised their family scheme benefit, saved up for a deposit and they built a house on Auckland's North Shore. Mm. And then my brother and I, we were born, um, my brother was born in Middlemore Hospital and I was born in North Shore Hospital. Yeah. So yeah, baby of four and will always be a baby as most last borns will know. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. matter how old you get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am one. I definitely know what you're saying. Um, so in your selection uh, speech to be chosen as the Labour candidate for mana, you addressed your father, Selani Tangilima Poe, saying, this is why you came to New Zealand, to give me a better life, and now is the time to repay that. Um, and you've described your stepmother, Lasela Tumupoi, as having taken over the reins, and she played a hu- huge role in your life. So can you tell us a bit more about them, um, your family heritage, and the values that your parents have installed in you? Yeah, so when I look, um, the great thing about putting your hand up for politics is you do a bit of self-reflection. Uh, you look back on those influences throughout your life. You look back on your life with quite a different lens. So for me, the values of leadership actually really started before I was born. So my um, father's side is half of uh, my father is Solomon Islander, Blackbird, indentured labour. The other side of my father's side, my uh, paternal grandmother, is Chinese. So the Solomon Islanders and the Chinese indentured labourers that were brought into Samoa to work the compra plantations. And then I look on the other side, which is my mother's side, in Safoku and uh, Fasito Uta. Um, That's the Laopepe and the Kimu side. You know, my great-grandfather, you know, marched in that Mao movement and, you know, he was pictured outside the offices. I remember in the 50th address, uh, he was referenced, this is Dimu uh, Lofa Kimu, he was referenced particularly for his um, unification speech that he did at the time. And then he was the first minister of police and then his son, or his, his brother was also another minister. Um, my uncle was an MP um, and now my cousin is actually running for um, general election in Samoa. I've just found that out most recently as well. Wow. So I've got the politics side on one hand, and then on the other side I've got that indentured labour side. So I see it as a merger really that falls into community service. So as you know, many um, my story is very similar to many Pacific stories, which is our parents came here for a better life. My father, being the eldest of his family of 11, was the only one that went past full form in school. So he was, as the eldest, was um, given opportunities around education. And for me, that's huge. Um, You know, I fell pregnant with my first child in my second year of law school, but that determination to keep going through with my tertiary education was instilled in those values from my father around leadership, community service and education. And then um, when mum passed away, um, you know, about a decade later, my dad and my stepmum um, fell in love and decided to um, get married. My stepmother pretty much brought me up from when I was four. It wasn't um, she was brought over from the islands to help look after our kids, um, us kids. But I remember um, again another auntie uh, saying to me that when your mum was on her deathbed again, she also said to my dad, "I want you to marry someone within my family because they will love our children as if they're own." Mm. And that's what's happened with my um, stepmother, Lasella. So she has brought me up with kindness, you know, about um, understanding what it is to be both a female in a Samoan world, 
but also having to walk in two different worlds when you're brought up on the Auckland's North Shore. It's a very Balangi society. Yeah. So she's helped me walk those different worlds with kindness, with care, with a caring heart. And she's been absolutely selfless in her love for me. So I've got that leadership, that community service with my dad, that driver for education, but then that kindness and caring element from my stepmom. Ah, oh, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, that's amazing. And so one of the things that you mentioned is that you were born and bred in Auckland's North Shore yep. um, and have mentioned that uh, members of your family were working in the kitchen laundry service and as cleaners in the North Shore Hospital. Um, you know, like you said earlier, this is a very common theme for a lot of our Pacifica communities um, is that they uh, work in these roles to kind of pave the way for us to be able to have a better Absolutely. life here in New Zealand. Um, so can you share memories of being a child in a family of hospital workers and of growing up as a kid on the North Shore? Yeah, so when mum was sick, um, so our household actually, I'll step back a bit. So when my mum and dad um, were looking at building a house on Auckland's North Shore as part of a government scheme, um, all the family came over from the islands to help build the foundation foundations oh, so you know cool. to help cut down on the building costs I remember we've got pictures in our family of the cousins with spades with afros but with spades you know <laughs> um, digging in the dirt so the foundations could be laid so our house was always a transit point for families as they came from the island because we were one of the very few families that had a house so families would come in groups they would have a room they would go out and work and then they would save money to buy their own homes yeah. so I mean I just consistently remember it being a transit lounge of in and out you know as the night shift went out the day shift came home so there was always room there was always beds for the, the numerous family members we had my, I recall my dad saying to me at one point we had like 24 people living in our house plus my immediate family but that's the way it was mm. you know everybody it was about communal living in order to get everyone else ahead and, and that's, I think, is um, right throughout both Māori culture and other cultures as well. So um, the funny thing was is that North Shore Hospital, so most of my family either worked at North Shore Hospital or at the plastics factory in Glenfield, and at North Shore Hospital right across the fence was the uh, Decile 10 all-girls Catholic school that I went to. So as I was, you know, along my merry way of, you know, doing things as you would at school, yeah, my family were in the bowels of the kitchen with the cooks, the the cleaners, the assistants, the laundry, you know, people. So, um, yeah, it was quite, it just, what it, what it helped for me now growing up and looking back on it, it just really helped me walk two different worlds. The very uh, Pākehā rich world that was across the fence and then the rich in culture, rich in communal um, accountability that was across on the other side of the fence, you know. So you mentioned uh, you went to the all-girls all Catholic school, which was Carmel College on the North Shore. Was there any particular reason your parents sent you there and, and how did this school shape you to become the person you are today? So that goes back to my dad's drive for education. He knew that that was one, you know, he was he was privileged in that he was the eldest of his, fam of his siblings and that he was actually um, supported to go through to tertiary education. He got a diploma in horticulture. Um, and then he came back after mum died about 10 years later. When I went back to college, he went and studied to be a social worker. So he knew the value of education. So he sent us to a Catholic school because that was the church we were brought up in, uh, local Pope. Um, and so for him, it was just, it was a good school. 
um, had, you know, Christian values and it was an all-girls school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll leave it to Dad as to why he sent us to an all-girls school. But, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it was huge. I went, to, um, some of, I went to school with some of the richest families in New Zealand um, who were also very philanthropic, very charitable families. Um, for me, again, it was uh, I was fortunate to be um, co-head girl in my year. Um, my eldest sister was head girl in her year, and my brother, who went to the um, neighbouring boys' school, the boys' Catholic school, our brother's school, he was the head boy. So it was just that whole, I remember the um, school motto is act justly, love tenderly, uh, act justly, love tenderly, and walk humbly with your God. You know, so that whole, again, that community service that was driven through my college just, again, reflected the values that I was learning at home. As you were growing up, uh, were you involved in any political a- activism at all? No, not was really. It? <laughs> it's quite funny. I mean, my dad actually used to do the door knocking and the pamphlet delivery for um, the what used to be the old Glenfield or Kaipataki ward uh, for the Labour candidate there. Um it's quite uh, one of my um, good friends from school, Dr. Evelyn Masters. She sent me a message um, just a couple of weeks ago, and she said, "Oh, I, do you remember when we did? Um, it was like a, a, a fundraiser for Korean. For, um, I can only just remember it. Just um, doing a, I think it was rice. We were selling rice, and and one in a hundred tickets could get to have a proper meal. You know, so she's, you know, do you remember those protests we did? And I just remember. I also remember Amnesty International. I remember we had um, a human cage at school, and it was to help, you know, fundraise money for Amnesty International. So I haven't really been political, but again, the self reflection that comes with the candidacy, you actually look back and it's like, well. Maybe I was, I just didn't think of it at the time. Mm. Yeah, so you went on to study uh, at University of Auckland when you finished your degree in law and arts, and about five and a half years later you were pregnant with baby number five, which is an amazing achievement in itself, and you spoke about that earlier, about Mm. kind of what kind of got you through that time. So can you just talk us through this period of your life and how you and your now husband Chris supported each other during that time? Yeah, so... um, as you can imagine, there's a lot of expectation on um, Pacific um, children to do well, especially with the sacrifices that our parents made to come here. So um, when I actually started out doing a Bachelor of Health Science in Physiotherapy, mm-hmm. and I did enjoy it, so I slacked around a bit. So I had a couple of gap years working for insurance companies. But then when the insurance company decided to uh, make redundancies, I could have taken a job in Wellington or stayed in you know, or Christchurch, and I didn't want to do that. So I had a, a thought, well, what I want to do when I was younger, be a doctor or be a lawyer, as you, as most Pacific people probably do with their parents, you know, on their backs. Mm. And so um, I decided to come to law school. So my second year, um, I fell pregnant with our eldest girl, Acacia. So um, continuing the sort of, sort of lazy, sort of just cruising not nature that I had in the Bachelor of Health Science, uh, my first year at law school, I was just cruising. I just did enough to pass. But then when I fell pregnant in my second year, it just gave me purpose. And I just thought, you can't stuff this up. This is your family's future. And my husband and I were just like, this is an investment in our future. The earning potential to be a lawyer compared to, say, a timber machinist, which is what he was at the time, was vast. You know, it was such a vast difference. So for me, it was having a child, I think, kind of 
because there's a lot of people that would say to you, your life is over once you get pregnant, especially, um, mm, yeah. you know, I'm sure there's a lot of Pacific girls that feel that way. But actually it gave me the purpose to, and gave me the reason to continue. So um, my marks were increasingly better after I um, had my children and it just gave me the drive to, you know, I'd have the babies. We were well supported by my husband's family. My mother-in-law used to come across the paddock because they lived next door. And she would come and watch the babies from like 7 o'clock in the morning. I'd go to my 8 o'clock lectures. I'd come back in the evening after studying. Um, we would feed our kids. And then um, my husband to support me, to give me that sort of physical support. I remember him... Um, bringing all the kids into the lounge where they could sleep. So if I had to stop studying, I could feed them. So that was, you know, we'd do our daily routine. By 10.30 at night, I would open my laptop once the kids had gone to bed, and then I would start studying. And, you know, we had the support from my in-laws, the Edmonds family, Memory and Bill and Otahu, and um, we were staying with Chris's sister at the time. But it was still tough. You know, my husband, we only had one income. I was studying. Textbooks aren't cheap. And then as we progressed and had more children, you know, obviously it was self-inflicted. But, um, you know, he was just above the minimum wage, so we were really, we were, it was really tough money-wise. But then um, Helen Clark came in um, and she announced an increase to boost in working for families. And that took us from literally only having $8 in the hand to having over $100 more. And it was just more food on our kids' table. So, um yeah, so really my message to those who are listening is that just because you fall pregnant and you decide to have a baby, whether it's unexpected or not, life's not over. Mm. If anything, use that to help you, um, to motivate you and to encourage you because actually it's just your education means that the future will have a better life. You mentioned working for families as being one labour policy that helped yeah. you and your, your family at the time. Um, you've also credited former Labour Party policies outside of working for families mm. for helping you and your ainga um, succeed in Aotearoa. Can you talk through some of those other policy policies, especially to our listeners who are um, thinking about who they're voting for this year mm. um, and how and what those policies were as well? So for me, the Labour policies um, stopped me falling through the cracks as a child and then growing up. So the capitalisation of family scheme benefits was a Labour policy from um, Walter Nash, the second Labour government. Training allowances, the reinstatement of them, um, which helped my father when he decided to become a social worker, um, that allowed him to pay for his transport to get from Auckland's North Shore to Epsom, which is where ACE was back in the day where he did his social work di um, diploma. Um, working for families for me... When mum died and my dad had to go, um, my dad had to stop work, it was the domestic purposes benefit and the widower's benefit that helped my dad make sure that he could stay home, pay a mortgage and help his kids get to school. Um, then when we had our own family working for families, but also interest-free student loans really helped because what it meant is that when I finished studying, we didn't have a huge debt. We still had a debt because it was, you know, the student loan paid for my tertiary education, but I managed to pay that off over six years rather than 12 years if we had interest on top of it. So just time and time again, what I'm trying to um, remind people, especially our Pacific people, is to remember where you came from, but also those po to help you with your voting, those policies that helped you get to where you are today. And that's for me is a big priority is to make sure, especially in a time coming ahead with COVID, 
it is really easy for governments to take an austerity approach. Um, for me is to make sure some of those safety nets are still there and that you know you don't start chipping away at abaf- abatement thresholds, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, lots of policies and, you know, the work continues really. Yeah, so um, like you've said, so getting the Pacifica communities to kind of realise the importance of some of the policies that have gone through and how that's benefited, benefited them um, as Pacifica. But um, the other thing is having, like, the importance of having Pacifica MPs, right? Because mm. Labour um, has quite a few, and which is uh, amazing. Um, and so, you know, like, what do you, why do you see this as important of having Pacifica MPs and being able to speak for those communities? So Parliament should reflect the communities that we're serving, yep. you know, Pacifica is a big part of that, especially um, we have a young Pacifica uh, generation coming through. So being able to have a voice at the table is extremely important, and particularly for me with my background in the profession of tax Mm. and tax policy, for me it's to have that Pacifica economic voice at the table, and that's the skill set that I'm wanting to bring to the Labour table. Um, We have some amazing ministers now that have done some really big work in the Pacific space, oh, Peter William Seal, you know, the Honourable Jenny Sarlesa, the Honourable Carmel Cipollone, and as well as um, Porto Williams, that's new, to have those, have our Pacific people in ministries and to be the head of those ministries is massive. Like one, one particular, um, it's more of a cultural shift that I really admire in the last three years is the work that um, Carmel Cipollone has done with the MSD culture, which is people get what they're entitled to as opposed to a culture of sort of holding back from them because at the moment it's going to be tough mm. and we know it's going to be tough but so that's why we need to make sure that our Pacific people feel comfortable to come to the government to access what their entitlements are. Mm. So you and your family moved to Wellington in 2009 yeah, <laughs> um, and you've had a number of roles since moving to Wellington. Titahi Bay is uh, mm. proudly your home. Um, can you talk through some of the roles you've you've had um, and and what that's involved as well, some mm. of the key sort of things you've been involved in. So um, I had four, I would say, blues babies, you know, blues rugby babies, and we had four hurricanes babies. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, for how it kind of started in um, Porirua in particular, um, one of the local school principals from Tatahi Bay School, Kerry Delaney, she rang me up and she said, Bob, um, we want to set up a Pacific parents group. Um, would you be able to come in to help us? You're an educated Pacific woman. Can you help us, the school, teach us how we can get engaged with our Pacific learners? So um, I got involved with the Pacific parents group. I was co-opted onto the school board. I helped draft the Pacifica learner strategy for Titahi Bay School off the old Pacific education plan. It provided the questions that we needed, but actually what I did is I surveyed our Pacific communities and we had events, because, you know, Pacific people just, we love food, we love entertainment, we love coming together. Mm. So we had a couple of those events and we could survey our parents as they came in as opposed to an information evening, you know, come fill out the survey. So we did it that way. Um, I've also helped um, Titahi Bay Intermediate with helping their their first AIMS campaign that was getting um, 22 kids from Wellington all the way to Tauranga for their first campaign. That was fundraising $22,000 to get those kids there because mm. we wanted it to be as low cost as possible for our, for 
for our community, for our parents. I mean, the biggest reason for taking them to the AIMS campaign is the biggest um, intermediate middle school tournament um, in the Southern Hemisphere. It's bigger than the Commonwealth Games. And it's just for our kids, you know, a lot of our kids don't have an opportunity to see outside their bubble. So taking them up to Tauranga, taking them onto Mount Monganui Beach, taking them to the hot pools. Um, as we drove up to Tauranga, we got to take the kids through the snow. So, you know, it's just opening their eyes up, seeing a different vision and different opportunities. So I helped TBI with that. Um, went on the Mana College school board. Um, we didn't have any children at Mana College, but I thought it was a bit of a travesty that we kept driving past the school and, you know, the community kept saying it's not a good school, not a good school. But actually, if you don't think it's a good school, tell me why. And people couldn't give me an answer. So my husband and I, we went in. There was a community meeting because they had a new principal and they were under statutory management. So we went in, we asked questions and um, from there decided, I said to Chris, he would go on the Titahi Bay Intermediate Board and I would go on the Mana College Board because for us local education is important because some of our local kids do not have a choice as to what school they go to but the local school. So for our community, it was making sure that the local school was the best school for those kids that don't have that choice. And for me and Chris, we could have had the option of sending our kids to a better school, but actually Mana College has shown what's possible when you have community engagement. Its role is growing, its achievement has grown significantly in the last four years, and we're on the verge of a huge property um, plan. So we just can't wait to turn that soil on that place. (laughs) But then I've also helped in the sporting area, so Norths, I've been... um, they pro bono lawyer for a long time, doing a lot of uh, judiciary hearings. <laughs> so when our players or coaches or managers or supporters get in trouble, I'm the one that they send to the WRFU. Um, you know, one of them in particular, I remember very clearly, um, the person was given a lifetime ban, and we um, I helped write draft the submissions to the WRFU um, appealing that decision and then appearing at the WRFU hearing for this particular grandfather. So he went from a lifetime ban to a year ban and that's because of the advocacy that, you know, from my skill set as a lawyer I could do to help him. But then when there was, you know, this KBJ netball, there's so many clubs that we've just helped out, partially because of our kids but also to allow for opportunities for other kids and when there was no club, then I set up a club with some friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, we set up the Raptors Tag Club to play in the PC Tag Competition out in Ascot Park every summer. We went from 22 kids one year to um, just over 400 in our third year. So getting that club set up, the Incorporated Society documents, setting out financial statements, annual reports, all of that stuff. Again, the benefit of the education that I received, it was being able to help others in our community gear up for that sort of, you know, this is how you access funding through being an incorporated society. So, yeah, lots of stuff. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's um, that's awesome. You are um, an incredibly busy woman um, and, as you say, you've been in Tisahi Bay now for 11 years and it sounds like you've just done so many things for it. And I'm from Porirua, so um, I love that, um, being able to see what you. the kinds of things that you're doing um, in our community and have been doing for a really long time. But... Um, you know, I'm sure many people are taken back when they hear that you have eight children on top of all of the amazing yeah, yeah. things that you've done and are doing. Um, but so just kind of walk us through what does a day in the life of a wife, tax lawyer, labour candidate, community, you know, community worker and most importantly a mother of eight look like at the moment? 
Um, in all fairness, um, during the work week, I am very privileged in that my husband is a stay-at-home dad. Mm-hmm. So my husband, Chris, is Napohi from um, Karatu and from Kaikohi. So um, the benefit of education was I had a well-paying job and he could stay home. So he does the day-to-day grind, you know, because I'm out of the door by about 7. Mm. I'm not home sometimes. Generally, 7.30 is a good night yeah. to, for me to be home because as a ministerial advisor, I look after five different portfolios for a minister. So on a work week, I'm really fortunate he's there because he does all the running around, mm. gets them to school, gets them to after-school sports. But then in the weekend, it's a totally different story. <laughs> so in the weekend, it's big time teamwork um so I'm working full-time at the moment I finish work um at the end of this week so that's the 4th of August to campaign full-time so on a Saturday um all my free time on a weeknight if it's not community meetings like tonight over North's committee meeting or last week I had my last board meeting for Mana College but every other night it's either phone banking for yeah. the campaign or I'm um, going to events to meet um stakeholders in Porirua but um, otherwise, in the weekend, my husband and I, we have um, six to eight games to get the kids to. So just this weekend gone, my husband was in Paraparo Umu with two of our girls for their rugby game. I took my son to Mana College, my girl to Netball Courts in Mungavin. I was at Porirua Park for one of the games. Went to the market for, um, well, my son was warming up for his game, went to the market to see my team that was based at the market store. Um, met a lovely lady called Lungi, who's got a <laughs> wonderful daughter. <laughs> yeah, from that's my <laughs> And then um, go back to rugby, go back to Mana College to watch a game, pick up all our kids. We, My husband got back from Umu. we swapped cars, I took the three girls to their netball game. And then um, we went to, after the netball game was finished, we went to um, Torufutu where our door knockers were going out to um, say thank you to the team, have a little bit of lunch, say hi to Dr Aisha Viral, who's another one of our list candidates and is amazing, has become a good friend from this whole process. Then we went. Are we to, only at lunchtime. I went at lunchtime. Yeah. <laughs> then we went to North to the um, Prem's game. Um, Prem's game where we watched the Prem reserves. Um, we're North. Um, sorry, Wainui, but they Don't wasted Wainui. <laughs> and then our um, Prem's team then wasted Wainui again. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, then I was home, and luckily I didn't have an event that night, so I got to stay on the couch, cook tea, and um, have a cup of tea with the family. So that's a that's a Saturday. Goodness. And then on a Sunday, um, had a meeting, swim, swimming lessons, um, and then we have, um, I had a meeting at 9.30 where I met a lovely, again, a good friend called John Rowe. <laughs> That's your oh, father. Don't, yeah, no, I don't trust that. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, we did door knocking from 11 till 3 in the Alsden area. And then I go home, and then for my full-time job as a ministerial advisor, I would generally do between four to eight hours of reading a week on a Sunday. So I go home, we cook tea, and then I start reading for the rest of the week. So I'm normally in bed around midnight. Last night we got to bed quite late because I decided to watch a movie. So Yeah. Yeah, so that's a weekend. I am tired. (laughs) I am tired just listening to that. That's amazing. So you've um, you've touched on some of the roles that you you're involved in in the wider Porirua community. Uh, what are the major issues facing Porirua right now? Housing, massive. 
Um, we have a really big waiting list for kāinga order social housing. But it's not just for those that um, need state housing, it's also affordable housing. I mean, my generation, I'm really fortunate that me and my husband have a house. Um, the only reason why we have a house is we were gifted um, my in-law's parents' house in, from Atahu in Auckland, and we used the equity off that to help secure our first home in Titahi Bay, because the hard thing is, is when you have a family, is that uncertainty that comes with rentals, you know, and, and it's the same even with young couples who don't have children and older people that don't, you know, have any dependents. So housing is massive for Porirua. Um, job opportunities, um, we do know that with COVID, um, based on the budget projections, you know, we are looking at roughly um, a, a large proportion of unemployment and what we saw with the, um, those that are going from, who are getting the wage subsidy, a lot of them were young people, so 25 and under. So um, for me, Porirua is a young community, so it's it's a no-brainer that you know some of our community will be unemployed due to COVID. So uh, making sure that there's job opportunities and that Porirua gets a good cut of that infrastructure spend. So we've got schools in Porirua that are going through property builds like Mana College, you know, big drive for me is to make sure that um, we talk to those in MB if we get back into government to say to them, we want local SMEs, local businesses to get those contracts. That way the economic benefit can stay within the areas in which that development's being is happening. Um, another massive for Porirua is Transmission Gully. You know, that needs to get finished. And, um, you know, so I have a lot of um, advocacy, there'll be a lot of advocacy that will happen post the election, well, from my perspective, if I'm successful, to make sure that that happens. Yeah, so it's the same, you know, it's the same golden ticket. It's education, it's housing, it's jobs, it's access to healthcare, especially um, for our northern ward, for those in Kapiti, just making sure they have access to 24-7 healthcare because otherwise they have to come from Kapiti Coast to either Kinaparu or Wellington Hospital. So um, there's lots of work to do. We've done, you know, I'm really proud of what the Labor government has done in the last two and a half years, but there's still more to go, and it definitely shows that um, under the leadership we've got that we need to make sure that everybody's doing their part to get us through this these next few years, which are going to be tough for some Kiwis. Um, and so at what point did you decide to run for Parliament, <laughs> and, um, and why? Um... Funnily enough, I um, never dreamed to be a politician. I'll be absolutely honest with you. You know, some people say I wanted to be a politician when I was in high school. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. I wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, even as early as January this year, um, I had secured um, a role in a firm for when I left my ministerial advisory role. And um, But then what happened was Chris uh, made his announcement to step off um, the seat and onto the list, which meant the seat was open for selection. Um, my phone went off that weekend. Just had lots of people saying, you should go for it, you're from our community, you should do it. Um, also, you have the capability to do so. You know you know the system, you've worked in the Beehive for four years, you've worked in the public sector, you also worked in the private sector, so you have those unique set of skills, plus you've got eight kids and you, you know, you're involved locally. So um, I was still a no because my concern was for my family. Mm. And, um, you know, I've last two and a half years, they haven't seen much of me during the weekdays because it is really tough being a ministerial advisor. Um, but then I spoke to um, a really good tip is to get yourself a mentor. So I've had a professional 
I'd say a professional mentor, but actually um, he was a friend for a long time. He was actually one of the deputy commissioners of IRD. And just over the last 10 years, we would catch up with a group of us and even just myself and him um, just to have a you know glass of wine or a dinner and just talk about life. And he just over that time became my professional mentor to help me with career advice. So I went and saw him about this and I see, and he said to me, first of all, it's a privilege to be asked mm. and then not everybody gets that opportunity. And then he said, second of all, um, what's the alternative? And I said, I'll go work in an accounting firm. And he goes, nah, that's boring. <laughs> do this one and then maybe later. And you can always do that later. So he tipped me to very close to almost a 100% answer. Then, um, but I still didn't say yes. And then um, what had happened was I went to a board meeting on a Thursday for Mana College and we only had one male board member other than the principal. And he came to the board meeting and we were giving him all the females around the table. You know, we had a, we had some very senior, uh, some lawyers, very senior public officials, just an amazing professional board. And us ladies were giving him, you know, sticks saying, oh, how does it feel to be the only male at the table, mm. you know, how to, be, to be a minority. And that was one, that was Thursday, then he passed away on the Saturday. So he had a medical episode and passed away. And then, so then one week later, we're at, I'm at Takapawahia Marae with the school and having a good cry and thinking about the same message that was in his funeral was the same message that we had heard just over a year ago, because our board chair also passed away. And these are two um, very strong Nati Tor men who had for decades been fighting for opportunities for kids in Porirua, fighting for equal opportunities and access, you know. Um, Willie Todima, the board chair that passed away, you know, influential in Creekfest getting started up, um, you know, started the mission lunch that happens at the arena every Christmas day, you know, and um, Randall Huge and Nati Tor basketball. So for me, that was it. That tipped the scale because I thought, I swore in my mind, <laughs> thought effort. If this is one way to get change on steroids, then I'm in because I might not have a decade or decades to do the change that I want for those opportunities that we've been fighting hard for. So um, went home after um, Takapuahi Marae, spoke to my husband and I just had to hear those final words from him saying, yep, I'll support you. And that was it. That was it. I put in my application on the Tuesday morning. It had to be in on the Thursday. On the Tuesday morning, I had my application, um, the application form. I had no signatures. <laughs> I'm a big believer that the the universe or, you know, the creator will, for you, put up barriers if you're not meant to do something. Mm. For me, I had no signatures on the Tuesday morning. By that evening, I had seven. Mm. And you needed six. And I had to get everything done because that Thursday I was taking 110 kids from Porirua to Auckland for the Oceania Cup. So I needed to get that all done within 24 hours. Yeah. So everything just fell into place. I was up in Auckland um, with the particular team I was managing. Um, and it was just like email, email, done. And so, um, yeah, just meant to be and then go through the process after that. So if you're successful, you will be successful um, post-election. <laughs> when you go into Parliament, uh, what uh, you talked about being a part of the change and making a difference in Parliament. What are a couple of things that you're really keen to change when you go into the Parliament? So for me, um, I've sort of touched on it before, having a 
Pacifica economic voice at the table. Um, again, that skill set of understanding how tax policy works and of how, um, you know, how prefu budget statements, how that all gets put together and where you can influence where those votes go, the, the appropriation within the votes. For me, that's massive because by having a Pacific voice at the table, I'm also representing Māori as well in the sense that I've got Māori kids and, you know, strong Ngāti Tōa influence in mana. You know, huge, and what and what Nati Tor is doing at the moment. Um, you know, with the new CE with Helmet, I absolutely sign up to that new vision, which is Nati Tor has to look after Nati Tor. Mm. So, um, having that voice at the table, and it's not just what I mean by cabinet table. I mean within that caucus. You know, at least to say the the more Pacific you have in the room, you know, the greater voice you can be in that power behind that one <coughs> voice. The um this, the uh, and the other thing that I touched upon is um. Whether we, we win the election or whether we're in opposition, again, the next few years, we, we saw after the global financial crisis um, what happens when there's austerity. So that's where governments do cuts, cuts to public services. And how that kind of um, came out, because I was an official during that public service time, was there a um, tinkering to abatement thresholds and tinkering to entitlements that most people don't understand or they don't realise but what it actually equates to is you have might ha- you might have $8 less in the hand at the end of the week because um, because of this different tinkering. So for me is to keep an eye on that um, both whether we're in government or in opposition because that it's, uh, it's one way that politicians can get things through without it being a huge political fight because people don't understand what an abatement threshold is. So um, those are two main things I need to keep an eye out for. The third, because you didn't ask me a third, but I'm a politician, <laughs> I'm going to go for a third, um, especially for mana, is um, employment opportunities with small businesses. Massive. We are in a constituency and an electorate full of small businesses. The number one um, employer in mana is education, followed by through construction, hospitality, and a lot of SMEs. So for me, is making sure, uh, having worked in the small business portfolio now for the last two and a half years, is um, not only not only like being able to support businesses so they can provide, they can pay their employers the living wage, but also some of the red tape that government has, making sure that you can. Where it's actually, you know, if, if government agencies can get information from another agency because they already have the name and address for another reason, why would you need to give it again to another agency or another agency or another agency? There needs to be some efficiencies across there that you can tap into. So yeah, that's the third one for me. But again, comes down to all the, again, the golden ticket, housing, yep. education, access to healthcare. You cannot remove yourself from that as a MP. And that's what I see as my role as being, if I'm successful and become the MP for mana, is advocating for what our constituents need. If we can evidence it, that there is a need, then I'm the voice that has to take it to Parliament. Cool. <clears throat> Thanks for that. That's the end of our uh, formal questions. Yeah, sorry about that. But we do have <laughs> <coughs> we do have some quick fire questions that we'd like to run past you. I'll go on. Um, <laughs> just before we, we finish, so I might pass it over to Yana to ask the first few. Yeah, so this is our um, our little segment to kind of finish it off on a on a you know like quick fire get you thinking. Okay. Uh, the first one is um, texting or talking. Talking for sure. <laughs> uh, the next one is what are you currently reading 
or listening to? I am listening to um, it's my actually it's my um, my own tra- it's my own Spotify playlist which is um, for the gym. So oh, it's yeah. my work it out. So I go to the gym with my husband around 9.30, 10 o'clock at night once all the kids gone to bed, etc. And they're all sweet because we've got older kids, by the way. Mm. We're not neglecting them. <laughs> so um, I had it listening to that uh, workout music because it helps clear my head and helps me sleep. So hey, just g- give us a couple of artists. Ooh, on your okay. Uh, Biggie Smalls. <laughs> <laughs> um, listening to um, some of the old stuff, actually. You know, Ghost Town DJs, um, Far Out. Oh. Yeah, it's too big a list. I yeah. can't really think about it. Cool. Do you have a nickname? Bub. Or Bub. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what would your superpower be and why? Oh, shucks, that's a hard one. Come on. Um, you might need to teleport every now and then, no? You're oh, pretty busy. Oh, yeah, I think so. Maybe cloning. <laughs> so I'm going to have a couple at different places. <laughs> yeah, make, make uh, some more of you. Um, I think I'd probably go for invisibility. So that way, you know, you can just zap out if you don't need to be there <laughs> and get something. But, yeah, teleporting is yeah, a good one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is your go-to dance move? Ah, oh, just a rock back and forth, man, because, honestly, I'm not a good dancer. <laughs> I lost that move. I, lost, I don't have any groove here. <laughs> Um, what is one band or musician you would love to party with? Oh, absolutely, Sons of Zion. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. their music. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I would love to have a party to that. I also went to the local Petoni. They had them, that's the first time I heard them live, and, yeah, absolutely captured but since then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you're out there listening, uh, yeah, Sons yeah. of Zion, <laughs> can Got I come a fan. to party? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Favourite food? Oka has to be raw fish. Yes. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. What's your most used emoji? The laughing one with the crying <laughs> on the both sides. The sideway laughing one? Yeah, the, the lol one. <laughs> I think the, the straight headed one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have to sing at karaoke. What song do you pick? Um. Oh, gosh. I don't know because I'm a bad singer too. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'd have to pass on that one. I can't yep, really yep. think. What sport would you compete in if you were in the Olympics? Oh, if I was in the Olympics, I'd love to. Not that I'd be any good for it. Would be sevens. Mm, <laughs> I'd yep, be sevens. Yep. And lastly, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Best piece of advice? Um, it's from my husband. And it's when whenever we had a child, so this is for all you parents out there, it gets easier from three, but um, his advice was do whatever you got to do to keep your baby alive and you sane. Wow, that's a good one. Yeah, that is yeah. a good one. I love that. Yeah, awesome. Well, Fafitai Tele Lava, Barbara, for coming on with us Thank today. Thank you for having um, me. I feel like we learned so much um, about you um, and, yeah, and the incredible work that you do and also, I guess, about your life and then your family as well. We need to come out and do some door knocking for you. Yes. So lock us yeah, in I think over so, the next yeah. few weekends. Yeah, and I've got Lungi already signed up. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if your mother can do it and your father can do I it, know. You I know both we do have it. no excuse. <laughs> no excuse. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, it's been a privilege. And I'll get better at this sort of podcast, you know, media stuff. But at the moment, it's just genuinely me. Mm. So nice. yeah, uh, that's all we wanted. Yeah. Lovely to meet you guys all. Yeah. Yeah, thank and all you. the best. Thank you. Thank all you. The best. Thank you.